We're gonna continue our study in the book of Proverbs. So if you have your Bible, turn to Proverbs. Chapter 18 would be a good place if you wanna open your Bible somewhere. We'll be all over the place. Chapter 18's a good one. You also may wanna put a finger in chapter 27. As we've been doing the, uh, throughout the summer, we'll read a few verses to set the tone and we'll jump in. This morning, we're considering what the book of Proverbs has to say about friendship. We've been covering this large section, chapter 10 to 30, theme by theme, and we've come to friendship this morning. Look at these verses. 18.1, he who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Proverbs 27.9, oil and perfume make the heart glad and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Let's pray, Lord Jesus, I just, I feel that text. All of us have memories of a, a sweet friend speaking into our lives. What a, what a sweet thing you've given to us. Lord, our, our hearts, we, we just confess to you now as we come to this text, as we come to um, consider your words on friendship, Lord, we, we just lay it before you. We're lonely and we're needy and we need you this morning. We need you to speak powerfully through your word and I pray that you would be with us, God, and, and fill us. I pray that we would walk out connected to you, connected to one another and, and, and live this week, Father, in the light of your friendship to us, Jesus. We thank you for, for laying down your life for the sake of your friends. We are here to meet with you this morning. I pray this in Christ's name, amen. Well, when we began this study in the book of Proverbs this June, Josh Hayes and I got together and mapped it out and we originally designed it as an eight-week study. We were gonna spend eight weeks in Proverbs and then we had a little four-week study we had, we had in mind. One of the reasons we did that, just to break it up a little bit, but also we didn't know what we'd find going into the Proverbs. Um, I, I didn't even know if we'd be able to fill out eight weeks. I'd never studied it at the level that I have this summer. That was the plan. God shaped the path though. <laughs> we jumped into this book and realized that, man, we live in a crazy world that's in need of wisdom. And this book, just week after week, is providing wisdom that, that God would have for his church in a crazy world. And so we decided to stretch it on out 12 weeks. So we're now in week 10 of an eight-week series. <laughs> I bring all that up to let you know that this was not in the original plan, that this sermon that we're gonna hear this morning. When I looked through the book of Proverbs, I wanted to preach on important weighty matters like family, money, how we, how we speak, how we communicate to one another. But friendship, an entire message on friendship, that sounds more like a Sunday school class, right? That, that's, not, that's for kids, that's not for adults. Um, friendship almost always takes a backseat to more important matters in our lives, doesn't it? Isn't that how we treat friends a lot of times in a crazy busy world? Most of us are too busy building our families, our careers, pursuing hobbies, walking our dogs. I don't know what it is. We just put friends in the backseat and do something else. Somewhere along the way, we just learned to power through life without friends. Now, if you're in middle school and, and you just got through your first week of school last week, friendship is a life or death situation. <laughs> You can't live without your friends. And every little, every little thing that happened, it, it means something. But if you're an adult, friendship to many of us feels like a luxury item. Yeah, it'd be nice to have a couple friends, but I'm not gonna worry about it too much. I've learned to power through without friends. We'll just be thankful for what we have. We'll be all right. Now that's the practical wisdom of a lonely world and a busy world, but it's not the wisdom of the Bible. As I scoured the Proverbs for wisdom on friendship, and where that study led me, I, I discovered that friendship is not a nice bonus in our life. It is one of the most fundamental elements of our humanity. You could actually view the entire Bible through the lens of friendship. 
God created Adam, if you remember, with a heart that hurt. Have you ever thought about that and meditated on that fact? When Adam woke up, he found himself in a perfect world, free from pain, free from sin, and, but he had a heartbreak. Why? Because he needed a companion. That's how God designed our hearts. He burned for a friend. And no matter how much you, you deny it and how much you've learned to live without it, you burn for a friend too. It's part of your humanity. This was one of, if I can be honest with you, this is one of the most painful messages that I ever prepared. Because as I wrestled with the, Bible te- the Bible's teaching on Proverbs, it, consider- it, it forced me to consider an ache in my heart that I learned to cover up decades ago. It's a good ache. It's a God-given ache, but it's an ache that on the second grade playground, I learned hurts really bad when a friend betrays you and walks away. And so very early in life, I, and I would imagine everyone in this room learned to cover that place up and say, I'll never expose myself like that again. Well, Jesus exposed a very old wound this week and it hurt badly, but it opened the door for me to experience the friendship of Jesus in a way that I had not experienced in a long time. And so my goal this morning is to elevate the idea of friendship in your mind so that you can receive Jesus as a friend. If you have a low view of friendship, you'll have a low view of Jesus. So I wanna elevate this idea so that you can know Jesus as your friend. And if you know Jesus as your friend, you can actually know other people. It's one of God's greatest blessings to us. Let me read this quote from J.C. Ryle. This world is full of sorrow because it's full of sin. It's a dark place. It's a lonely place. It's a disappointing place. The brightest sunbeam in it is a friend. Listen to this line. Friendship halves our troubles and doubles our joys. If you get some good news this week, what are you gonna do? You're gonna call your friend to make that joy expand. If you get some hard news this week, you're gonna call your friend so that your friend can come beside you and walk along. It halves your sorrows. That's what a friend is. It's a, it's, a, it's a blessing in our life. So here's the outline from the book of Proverbs on friendship. We're gonna look at the ideal friend. Second, we're gonna look at the problem with friendship and then we're gonna look at the healing of friendship. That's the way that we're gonna break down um, this subject this morning. Let's look at the ideal friend. As we've seen throughout the book of Proverbs, Solomon is always gonna give us the picture of perfection. When he writes about any subject, he's not gonna give us a mediocre version. He's gonna give us the picture of perfection. Now, week after week, this can become painful. You know why? It feels like we're looking into a well, a deep well, and we've seen a reflection of what we should have been. And so when we look at this picture of friendship, we're gonna long for it. We're gonna, our hearts are gonna break because that's the kind of person that we wanna be and the kind of person that we wanna know. But it's good to look at the perfection because it, it, it shows us through this, this, the power of the spirit what kind of a person we can become. So we're gonna look at the ideal friend this morning. There's three qualities that I wanna highlight from the book of Proverbs. First, friends are compassionate. They're compassionate. They lead with love. Look at Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. That's a beautiful sentence. And if you have not memorized that one, that would be good to roll through your head. The Bible, God inspired these words. A friend loves at all times. What a beautiful line. Now, if you have a brother or a sister, they were born into a relationship with you. They inherited the same blood. And so when your life falls apart, if you have a good brother or sister, it's part of their job to show up on the bad days. Your life falls apart, you, you'll get a call from your brother or sister. They're born for adversity. Again, if you had a good one. But a friend, they have no biological connection to you. They have no legal contract binding them to pick up the phone. They just do. 
You know why? Because they love you. They're gonna be there on hard days, but they're also gonna be there on good days. And they're gonna celebrate with you and, and enjoy life with you. They're gonna sit on a, on a car ride for four hours and not say a word and it's gonna be okay. A friend loves at all times. They're just, they're just there. I thought of James Taylor this week. It's winter, spring, summer, fall. All you have to do is call and I'll be there. Yes, I will. Maybe Carol King to some of you, but I like James Taylor. The true friend, if you have one, it's a rare friend. Someone that just loves you. We make friendships for all sorts of convenient reasons. Maybe you have friends at work or in your neighborhood because it's a politically convenient move for you. Maybe you have a rich friend because, well, we all know why you have rich friends. <laughs> Let's be honest. Solomon will actually warn us about this type of fair weather friend. They're all over the place, but there's warnings against them. Look at Proverbs 19 with me for a moment. There's a long string of verses that actually, it, it's, it's heartbreaking because you see a person loses money and he loses his friends. And you see all of these other people rising into, in popularity. Why? Because they had a good payday. It, it's, a, it's a tragic passage actually. Look at Proverbs 19.4. Wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend his fair weather friend. Many seek the favor of a generous man and everyone is a friend to a man who gives gifts. Fair weather friends are convenient. Why do, we, why do we engage in these kind of friendships? Well, they're easy to find. And like I said, God created you with an aching heart and a fair weather friend is some kind of a friend and so we align ourselves with these kind of friends to take away some of the loneliness and some of the pain, but they're not really your friend. And you don't need to trust a fair weather friend. Here's the problem with fair weather friends. When your money goes, they go. When your power and position and status leave, they leave you as well. I thought about the prodigal son this week. He went off to a foreign country with a, with a fistful of money. And it was easy to find friends. But what happened when he lost all of his money? He lost all of his friends. Where were they when he was eating the pig filth? He was completely alone. They were mooching off somebody else. So I want you for a moment as we consider this quality of an ideal friend, what is, the, what is the quality of your friendships? If you have the courage enough, ask yourself, think of a couple of good friends. Why are we friends? What is the fuel driving your friendship? Is it love or is it some other reason? If you have a true friend and you discover this week that we're just there for each other, you have a rare treasure, guard that friendship with everything that you have. If you've let one of these friends go, it's worth making a phone call today. I think it's Proverbs 27, do not forsake your friend or your father's friend. There's people in your life that you need and a true friend is one of them. Second, friends are, are compassionate. Oh, wait, I just said that, that's number one. I need to look at my notes more. Second, friends are careful, there we go. Friends are careful, they're compassionate, they're also careful. One of the great things that makes a friend so special is that they know you to the core. They know what makes you tick. They, know, they can anticipate a mood. Like if they see you from, from uh, like the other side of the room, they go, all right, guys, back up. All right, <laughs> he's coming right now. They know you. They can just, they can feel you. They know your list of favorites. If you had a bad day, they know exactly what Ben and Jerry is to grab on the way over there. They know your list of pet peeves. They know what not to do in their, in their presence. They can, they, they can know when to lean in and when to back off. And in fact, they know you probably better than you know yourself. They know what that little wrinkle on your head means. They can read your facial expressions and anticipate you. Do you have a friend like that? That's a wonderful gift that we have. Solomon now has some warnings to people that are not careful with their friends. 
The, the careless friends. We have the fair weather friends. Now we have careless friends, people that don't really know other people. Look at Proverbs 25, 20. This is a heavy proverb. Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day. Think about that in a couple of weeks as it gets really cold. It's not helping. Or like soda or vinegar on soda. Proverbs 27, 14. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. Amen, Solomon. Thank you for that. All of the morning people, listen up. It's cursing. You hear that? The uncaring friend doesn't really care about you. They just want to make you happy. They, they, they want to just lighten the mood. Here's why. They haven't dealt with their own pain. They haven't dealt with their own sorrow. So when they walk into a room with you and you're heavy hearted, oh, that scares them. They can't deal with your pain. That's an uncaring friend. And so they just get a happy song, turn up the music and let's dance and let's stop thinking about that. I think of Michael Scott from The Office. He doesn't care about anybody. He just wants to make everybody happy. He's an uncaring friend. The thing about these kind of friends is that they're super nice people. They're great guys, but don't count them a friend. They don't really care about you. If you wanna go deep into your relationships, you need to care enough about the other person just to sit in silence and to be sad with them. Have you ever been in a room where you cried with someone else and you shared someone's sorrows? You, half, you halved their sorrows? That's what a caring friend does. You need to care enough to back off a little bit. There might be a, a time in your friend's life where you just don't visit and you, and you just back off. I think there's a proverb that says, don't be in your friend's house too often, otherwise he will not like you anymore. <laughs> you might need to know when to back off as, since we've, we're thinking classical music this morning. Kenny Rogers said, you got to know when to hold him, know when to fold him, and know when to walk away. It's a sign of friendship to know when to, when to speak and when to not speak. They're sensitive. The true friend cares. The true friend, listen to this, sacrifices his own mood for the sake of his friends. Do you do that? Will you just get a piece of good news and you run to share it with your friend and you realize your friend is heavy hearted? Will you sacrifice your mood to sit in the sorrow with your friend? That's what a true friend does. Now, if you want to develop a friendship like this, you need to sacrifice and be, spend time with, face-to-face -face time. I wonder if the, the low quality of our friendships in this age that we live in is due to the fact that we try to build our friendships online. And we don't really get that face-to-face -face interaction. We think that we're building friendships, but we're just logging uh, texts and, and, and whatever we do on, online. If you want to build a true friend, you actually need to be with them and spend face-to-face -face time. It's worth the effort. The next point will show why. Third, friends are candid. They're compassionate, they're careful, they're candid. We just saw that a true friend is sensitive to the moods and needs of his friend, but that doesn't make him a pushover. It doesn't mean that a true friend will enable the person to live however that person wants to live in a sinful way. No, 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 no. A true friend will say a hard thing even if it hurts. They're candid. Look at Proverbs 27, five through six. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend and profuse are the kisses of an enemy. This is so backwards to how most of us want to live. We'd think faithful are the kisses of a friend and profuse are the wounds of an enemy. If you have a friend, they would never hurt you. How dare that person ever say anything hard that would hurt you? I wonder how many of us live in that kind of a mentality. Solomon is actually right though. A true friend will hurt. And it's a cowardly friend, a soft friend that will just butter you up and cover you with kisses and only give you what you want to hear. They're trying to save the friendship, but they don't really care about you. 
A true friend will say a hard thing. They, they will even wound you. Think about that. A true friend will wound you. One of the painful lessons that I've learned in the book of Proverbs this summer is that life, a good life, a, a wise life, is a long series of getting rebuked. When you were a child, if you had good parents, they rebuked you, they corrected you, they trained you, they loved you, they shaped you. But just because you turned 18 doesn't mean that you need to stop being rebuked. Like you don't just suddenly acquire and inherit wisdom and you're like, I'll take it from here. You, if you're lucky, if you're wise, you will find friends that will rebuke and correct and shape you and, and, and parent you. We make mistakes well into adulthood. And as Solomon says, if, you, if, if you're wise, you will surround yourself with wise people so that you will become wise. The companion of fools suffers harm. But those that have wise friends will grow in their love for Jesus. I will never outgrow my need for instruction. And you won't either. We need to hear hard stuff. And if you need to hear hard stuff, it's better to hear it from somebody that loves you and that is sensitive to your needs. This is why a friend is the perfect candidate to speak into your life, right? So they will say hard things to you. I wanna surround my people, my, my life with people that will push me to something greater. I don't want to be who I am forever. Do you hear that? I wanna grow. I wanna be more like Jesus and I wanna surround myself with people that will point me to Jesus. I remember the, the, the fall of 2015, October, my wife said some painful words to me. They sunk in deep. It plunged me into his sorrow because for the first time in our marriage, I just, I really heard. And I was self-reflective and it hurt. It wounded me, but I am eternally grateful to her for having the courage to say a hard thing to me. It changed my life. Many of you don't know this guy, but Matt Parker really shaped who I am today. In the summer of 2006, I remember exactly where I was, a little bridge at TVR. It's actually not even there anymore. When that bridge got taken away, I was sad because at that bridge, something happened to me that changed my life. I was leaning on the bridge and summer camp was about to start and we were leaning over and I, I was trying to talk to Matt and, or Parker, everybody called him, and tried to spread some gossip and bitterness and he wouldn't have it. He said, Tyler, you need to stop that right now. How dare you? You don't speak to me like that. And I was angry with him. For days, I didn't speak to him. God plunged me into sadness and to sorrow, but God woke me up to the destructive power of my sin. Many, many years ago, and I still think of that moment where a friend held up a mirror to my sinful heart and said, stop, stop doing that. That will destroy your soul. And I'm thankful to have friends in my life that will do, me, do that to me. My friends push me. Think about that. My friends push me and it hurts, but it's what I need and it's what you need. Nobody likes being pushed. Nobody wants to be hurt. But if you're stuck in the mud, you need a good push, don't you? You need somebody that will jump in the mud, inconvenience himself and push you out of the mud. It's not, a, it's not an uncaring, soft friend that will do that. It's a true friend that will get in the mud and get you out. And so as you push your friends, are you pushing them to something greater? That's the picture of, of an ideal friend. They're gonna speak the truth in love. Now, let me ask a question about that. Have you given your friends permission to speak into your life like that? Or are your friends intimidated? Are you immune to criticism? Think about that. That's a hard question. Are your friends scared of you? 
If so, do some reflection and invite your friends to say, you have the freedom. I'm not giving this to everybody, but you have the freedom to say hard words for me. I I need it. That's the picture of an ideal friend. They love at all times. They're sensitive to your needs and they have the compassionate courage to, to, to correct if you need it. Now at this point, I could give you a few tips for making better friends. You could jot down a couple of notes and we'd get out of church really early. <laughs> and you would like me and we'd become better friends. But that's not the kind of friendship I want with you. So I'm gonna keep you here a little bit more. I need to be candid with you this morning. There is a problem at the core of our existence that makes this kind of ideal friendship impossible. As I did research for this message, there were thousands of articles Everybody knows that our world is lonely right now. I think the, the, uh, England just appointed a minister of loneliness. That's the truth. It's an, it's an epidemic right now and people are lonely. And there's lots of articles that will help you try to get out of the loneliness. And it's sad and it's frustrating because you read these articles and you're like, yeah, you've defined the problem, all right, but what do they do at the end? They just give you a few little life hacks and tips to be a better friend. I'm not gonna do that because the problem goes far deeper than that. I need to be candid with you. There is a fundamental problem that is, that is preventing you from the kind of friendships that God created you for. Look at Proverbs 16, 28. One of the heaviest Proverbs I think that I've come across. A dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer separates close friends. Now, most of the time when you read through the Proverbs, the, the word neighbor, friend is re'ah, and it's a, it's a Hebrew word that speaks of, a, of an association, a friend. But this word is the Hebrew word aloof, and it's only used three times. It's a special word. It refers to the closest, most intimate kind of friend that you could possibly develop. Solomon says this, you could build a friendship for decades. You could log thousands of hours and forge a deep spiritual bond and it can be destroyed by a whisper. A whisper. It can separate close friends. God help us. We are not as strong as we think we are. Our friendships are extremely fragile. Maybe you felt the pain of a broken friendship, the searing pain of a broken friendship. Maybe you're heavy-hearted this morning because you destroyed it with a careless word. You, you let something out that was confidential and destroyed a friendship that you had. Maybe your reputation was destroyed by someone else's careless word and you couldn't believe that that friend who you confided in would go and spread it. Solomon's point is important either way. Friendships break. They can be strong and resilient and tough, but they break. They can crumble overnight or they can slowly fade away over years. The relationship that God designed us to enjoy is actually impossible to fully enjoy on this broken planet. And to understand why, you need to look at Genesis chapter three. Now, my sermon prep often takes me to Genesis chapter three. It's a linchpin moment in the Bible because it explains why our world is such a broken mess. If you wanna understand the root of any problem, go to Genesis chapter three. I go there all the time, but I've never been so viscerally angry at what happened in the garden that day as I was this week. A few minutes ago, I told you that God created Adam with a deep need for companionship. Well, he met that need. He didn't plan on letting Adam just walk around lonely. He put him in his sleep and he formed Eve out of that and they woke up into paradise. 
They were perfectly in, in union with God, perfectly in union with one another. They walked with God, with each other in the cool of the day. They were completely vulnerable. No secrets. Imagine a friend like that. Completely open. They didn't even wear clothes. That's how open they were with another soul. No fear. But Satan slithered into the garden. And what did he do? He whispered. Just a few little lies about God's friendly heart. You know, God's, he's not your friend. He doesn't really love you. He's holding out on you. I'll give you something better. A whisper broke everything. They believed his lies. They swallowed what the Proverbs will later call the sweet morsels of the whisperer. And it went down in their soul and it broke them, making friendship impossible. Drew Hunter, in his excellent book, Made for Friendship, draws out three implications of that first whisper. First, it separated them. The intimacy that they enjoyed instantly vanished. What did they do? They found leaves and covered themselves up. They, they hid from God. They were suddenly isolated, alone. Second, it cooled their affection, that, that burning love that they had for one another. It cooled off in a hurry. When God asked Adam, what did you do? It was her fault. They start spreading blame. It separated the friendship. And finally, ultimately, their friendship ended. They, they stuck with one another, but eventually Adam and Eve died. That's the ultimate destruction of a friendship. You can build a good, healthy friendship, but eventually one of you will die. That's a separation that the whisper broke in our friendships. Sin has frustrated our ability to enjoy the friendship that God has created. If you open up your heart to another soul, you will get hurt. You will get wounded. It will break. Something will happen. There will be misunderstandings, miscommunications. And because of that, most of us have become content to power through alone. Just, I'm not going to open my friend to anybody. I'll just sew up that, that pain, that ache in my heart, and I'll make it through. Proverbs 18.1, he who isolates himself, seeking not a good thing. You're seeking your own desires. It's not how God designed you. Don't do it. But that's why I believe many people are chronically lonely. I believe that's why this room is filled with lonely people. And as you walk out and go to lunch, you're gonna just look in the eyes, you'll see people that are lonely, that can't give their hearts to another soul. They don't even think it's possible anymore. But church, I have good news. As frustrated as our friendships have become, God can heal them. It took a whisper to destroy our friendships, but it took a cross to restore them. And that's exactly what God did. This is the third point in our outline, and it's the one that we truly need to grasp. Do you remember what happened when Adam and Eve hid in the garden? They heard the sound of God walking in the cool of the day. It was just a vivid reminder that God's friendly heart was not fractured. A, a painful reminder to them of what they had left and what they had walked away. But God was walking through the garden. And then he uttered some of the sweetest words our world has ever known. Where are you? What an act of friendship. We betrayed him. We walked away and God didn't go, well, Fine. Be on with yourself then. Try life outside of the garden. I'll start over. No, no, no. That's not what God did when we broke the friendship. He says, where are you? 
He pursued them. He chased after them. God is the ideal friend that Solomon wrote about. God was not done with us. He chased after Adam and Eve. And listen up very closely. He's chasing after you. Do you believe it? God wants to be your friend. He's offering friendship. Do you believe that statement? I I realize it's a preposterous claim that the God of the universe wants your friendship, but that truth is made as plain as possible in the life of Jesus. You see, when the son of God, the eternal son of God took on flesh and became a human, he didn't isolate himself. He didn't hide himself. He fully jumped in a relationship with 12 men. He had lots of followers coming, coming around him. He enjoyed friendship. In fact, he was so friendly that the best that the religious leaders could do was accuse him of being a friend of sinners. Exactly, they saw it correctly. Jesus was a friend of sinners. He, he enjoyed relationship. He articulated this desire for friendship with us in the moments just before the, cro- uh, the cross. Josh read these earlier. I'm gonna read them again because they're powerful words. John 15, 12 through 17. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Be friends is what Jesus is telling us. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command you, to repent and believe what these people just did in the baptismal waters a second ago. If you do what I command, lay down your life. You're my friend. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you our privilege. You didn't choose me, but I chose you. Remember, you walked away from me in the garden. You believed the lies of the whisper, but I chose you. And I appointed you so that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you once more so that you would love one another and be friends. A few minutes after Jesus said these words, he found himself hanging on a cross completely alone. You just imagine the the sting of that kiss on his cheek from Judas. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. And Jesus felt it as he hung on the cross. And as he looked around, his disciples weren't there. Peter had gone. Where were his friends when he needed them the most? He prayed to God and even God the Father hid his face. He lamented Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He laid down his life in relationship for the sake of his friends. He swallowed our loneliness and our misery so that we could once again walk with God in the cool of the day. It was the greatest act of friendship that our world has ever known. Jesus is the ideal friend and he wants to be your friend. Look at Spurgeon, in the heart of Jesus, there burns such a friendship toward us that all other forms of it are as a dim candle to the sun. Think of your best friend, if you do have an ideal friend. Think of that friendship, it is a little candle compared to the burning sun of God's friendship to you. Now I know this room is filled with lonely people, I know it because God created you with a lonely heart, ready to receive community, ready to receive friendship, but Jesus has called you his friend. Will you receive it this morning? You might be thinking, how, 
How is it even possible to enjoy a friendship with Jesus? I've never seen him. I understand that. I want to let you know that I've wrestled with this for a long portion of my life. How do I actually become friends with Jesus? You know what? It's easier to view Jesus as a, as a, a theological concept, as an abstract idea. And, and I, so many times in my life, I just think of Jesus as kind of this force. But that's not how Jesus presents himself to us. Jesus is actually alive. The resurrection actually happened. He is in heaven. He is reigning. He is alive. And he does want an actual friendship. And it is possible for you, even though you don't currently see him, to enjoy a friendship with him. I think of First Peter's uh, chapter one, encouraging words to the struggling churches, which I'm excited about studying this fall. Remember, as the gospel spreads outside of Jerusalem, it's going to a place that had never known Jesus. And so Peter wants to say that even as you struggle, as you walk through the fire, there will be another in the fire with you. And his name is Jesus. And even though you don't see him right now, it is possible for you to love him. First Peter 1, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you rejoice with a, with a glory that's unexpressible, with a joy that's inexpressible. As you obtain the salvation of your faith, it's just a little taste of what's coming. Paul actually showed us how at the end of his life. The last chapter that he wrote, 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul is expressing to Timothy, I, I need you to come. Everybody had deserted Paul. At the end of his life, he was completely alone, and yet he hadn't given up on the idea of friendship. He said, only Luke is with me. Timothy, I need you to come, please. We need friendship. Look at these words that he, that he wrote to Timothy. In my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but everyone deserted me. Everyone. May it not be charged against them. Where did Paul derive strength? Look at this. But the Lord stood by me and he strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Paul needed a friend and he found it in Jesus. You need a friend this week. You can find it in Jesus. And so as much as I wanna help you practically apply Solomon's lessons on friendship, more, more importantly, I, I want to invite you to be friends with Jesus and, and to go deep in that relationship. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and grief to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Do you know what would happen to this church if every one of us in here embraced the friendship that Christ has offered to us? We would live up to our very ambitious name. We have a very ambitious name hanging on our sign. We are Alliance Bible Fellowship. It's an old word and one that you don't typically think about and consider, but I've been thinking about it a lot this week. What would, what would happen? We would become a fellowship a gathering of friends. And not fair weather friends, not soft friends, not uncaring friends, friends that are gathered around the word of God, friends that are gathered around our mutual friendship with Jesus. We can actually have something good to talk about. We can actually be a true fellowship, companions on this burdened life together. We can enjoy, we can have each other's sorrows, we can magnify each other's blessings when we gather in a room to sing praises to Jesus. That's what I wanna be. 
That's what I want this church to be. No matter if you're a Jew, a Gentile, man, woman, rich, poor, black, white, Republican, Democrat, sick, healthy, tall, short. If you belong to Jesus, you belong to us. Our world doesn't think friendship's possible and we're fracturing and going into our little camps and they're getting smaller and smaller, but the church can be friends. We really can be friends because Jesus has offered his hand of friendship to us. Will you receive it? Let's stand and pray this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for doing what none of us in this room would have done. When we broke, when we swallowed the lies of the whisperer, Lord, you came after us because you're a good friend. You love at all times. Your steadfast love endures throughout all generations, Jesus, and you've offered us friendship. And I pray that every soul in this room would receive the gift that you've given to us, Jesus. May we walk with you in friendship, God. I can't wait. I've been thinking a lot about the new heavens and the new earth when when the new Jerusalem comes down and you're our king, and again, that's an abstract idea that for, for, for most of my life. But I've been excited about living in that new city and, and walking with you again in the cool of the day. And, and not only that, but walking with my friends in this room. And to actually know my friends at that level. I'm excited about that day. We don't have to hide anymore. I don't have to manipulate. I don't have to put up a good face and a good front because I'm so needy for a relationship. I can just be with you and be with my brothers and sisters in this room for eternity and we will laugh. It'll be wonderful. All because Jesus laid down his life on the cross. May we be so bold now as we leave this room inspired by the work of Christ on the cross and the resurrection to lay down our lives for the sake of our friends. May you help us live up to that command. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.